Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points. I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the Kana Supers Podcast Network and the SB Nation Podcast Network. On today's episode, we're going to do our draft deep dives. We're going to continue with that. We've done so far point guards and shooting guards. Today, we'll get into small forwards. Uh, it's obviously the, the draft landscape has changed a little bit for Minnesota since they got the number one pick, but I think it's still prevalent to, to go through the rest of the class, since especially since Minnesota have three picks overall and, and there's still a pretty good chance, I think, that they trade back into that mid to late lottery region and, and grab someone from there. So it's always good to, t- to have a, a look at the other prospects in the class that, that aren't Anthony Edwards and, and Lamelo Ball and the, the usual suspects that you see up at the top of the class uh, today to do that with me as usual is Tyler Metcalf from Hashtag Basketball from Dunking with Wolves. He, he's a draft expert and um, one of the best around. So how are you, Tyler? Uh, Drake doing well. Happy to be back on. You know, the, the, this whole draft process is getting dragged out even farther. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, at least we have an order to kind of go off of and get a better sense of at least what kind of groups of guys you know each team should be looking at yeah. so at least we got something to go off of yeah it's it's kind of hard to believe how long it's going to be between starting to scout or you know the start of the NCAA season uh, until the draft so especially in a class like this I mean any other class it's probably would have been actual good fun to to scout for 12 months right. but this class is, is not the not the best in the world and kind of makes it a little bit harder to get excited about, but we are getting there and Minnesota got the first pick, so at least that is a, a bit of wind in our sails. Um, yeah, so today we'll do small forwards. Um, we both came to the agreement, I think, that it's a bit lighter, the class, than we thought it was in small forwards. I mean, there's, there's probably guys that you won't hear today, like Sadiq Bay, Tyler Bay, uh, Denny of Dia. Guys like that who who could probably slot into the small forward role, but we had all of those guys as as power forwards, and and even some of the guys we've got, I think, could, could definitely play multiple positions or end up being a, a power forward or a shooting guard. But this is the these are the five guys we've got. We've both agreed on the five guys, and then we've got a sleeper as well. So um, why don't you get into number one? I'm sure most fans of the podcast know who it is, but um, yeah, you you go first, and we'll go from there. Um, yeah, so do you want me to go with my one, my first yeah, guy yeah, or your first yeah, guy? Yeah, go with your first guy. Okay, um, so I'm my top small forward in this class, um, 
is Isaac Isaac Okoro. Oh, I have him at I, I have him at seven overall in my draft yeah. guide. Um, I, I think he's the best all around defender in this class. Um, his size, his strength, his agility, his instincts—they're just incredibly impressive. Um, I mean, we we saw the impact, the defensive impact that Matisse Thibel made um, as a rookie in Philly this year, and I kind of expect Okoro to do the same next year whenever you know that season does actually come. Um, but I think he can guard any position on the floor at an extremely high level, and he works his ass off the entire time on that side of the court. Um, just really impressive. He's a good individual defender, good team defender, uh, great rebounder. And on top of that, I re- I'm really intrigued by his offensive game. I mean, he doesn't, he's, he's, a, he's a bad shooter, so I don't expect him to develop into a good shooter if he can develop into like an average shooter or like a corner three guy uh you know that that'd be massive but he's an incredibly impressive passer for his position um he's a really good cutter really good driver so even though he doesn't have that outside jump shot um i i I still think there are a lot of areas where he can impact the offense in a positive way with his, you know, kind of secondary playmaking or um, ability to attack and get to the rim. Yeah, I, I think with Akora, he in kind of mainstream circles, it seems like he almost has been boxed into that guy who who's just a defender because he can't shoot threes, and there's no denying that he isn't a good shooter off the catch or especially off the dribble and. and He's not going to create any shots for himself, you know, in the mid-range region or, or, or one or two dribble pull-ups. But that, I think, really undersells just how good he is offensively outside of the shooting and the shot creation. I mean, like you said, he's, his passing is so impressive. I mean, he's he genuinely handling the pick and roll and, and be a secondary playmaker on a good team, I think. And then he's just an awesome slasher. Like, the way he gets to the ring, I think he's 225 pounds. He's really big and strong, and then you can finish with both hands through contact, around contact. Um, I, I'm super impressed every time I watched him with his finishing ability, and and I think that lends itself to him being a, a good offensive player from, from day dot. I think that there's obviously warts there with the shooting, and he needs to become a better shooter in today's league, especially if he's going to play the, the three or the four. But he... He's definitely not a, a defense. He's not a Josh Kobe, you know, to put it in a Timberwolves kind of perspective. He's not someone who just hounds guys on the perimeter and then can't really impact the game very much offensively. I mean, he's he just can't shoot. But outside of that, he, he's really good. And then, obviously, just a great defender. I mean, he, or, uh, Auburn were, were really good defensively, and he was at the forefront of that. He can chase around point guards. He just blows up screen. Like he gets through screens like they were never there to begin with, the way he gets skinny through screens and just keeps chasing his man around the perimeter. Uh, I'm just, I'm super impressed with Akora. And every time I watch him, I seem to just get that little bit higher on him. I mean, he never seems to have a bad game. Even when he scores five points, he just, you know, you can, his presence is always felt. Yeah, and I, I think that that point with him just kind of dodging every screen is really important because, you know, I the defensive systems all over the league are very different. You know, we see Milwaukee who's reluctant to switch and never does. So now that they're trying it in the playoffs, 
you know, they look uncomfortable. And then we see Houston, who switches everything. And I think Okoro is going to be pretty immune to whatever defensive system he can he goes into yeah. because he's really smart and can do either. You know, and if if you want to switch him, he can shut down a point guard. He can switch on to a center. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, if you need him to fight through that screen, he will, and he'll recover and contest a shot and, you know, not foul. Um, he, he's just really impressive. And I mean, just offensively, I and mean, it's his playmaking is really impressive. I mean, that on synergy I and mean, his isolations, including passes, he's in the 95th percentile. His pick and roll, including passes, he's in the 70th percentile. And then when he's around the rim, you know, he's in the 89th percentile of scoring. So, and as long, and if he, you know, if for some reason Houston took him, I and mean, they wouldn't because he can't shoot. But where if he's just in that offensive system where he's just kind of put out on the perimeter and be, they ask him to just be that spot up guy, you know, he's going to be useless. But if he's in any sort of competent offense that has ball movement and player movement and guys cutting and slashing and, you know, doing all those off ball things, I, he's, I think there's a lot that he brings to the table. And as long as the offense is somewhat creative, I really think that they'll find an awesome use for him. Yeah, I really love that point because I think he's one of the few guys who are projected to go, you know, in the top seven or eight who really mm-hmm. will benefit from being that high in the class. I think there's a lot of guys who probably, like I think Anthony Edwards probably doesn't benefit from going to a, a really bad team who need him to score Agreed. 25 a night. Whereas Okoro, if he goes to a team that that is going to put, you know, at least some of the the franchise on his shoulders, that will give him a chance to be more of a ball handler and more of a, a facilitator rather than just being thrust into that spot-up role because that's the one way that, that I think you're really going to minimise his potential is if he goes to a team where he's just asked to be a 3-and-D guy because he's not that. He's kind of that strange blend of, of really good defence and the ability to, to create for others at the wing spot and get to the ring himself, but then he's not going to shoot very well. So I think a team that will put the ball in his hands and let him go through the, the shooting mistakes, not make him shoot seven threes a night, you know, maybe he might shoot three or four threes a night, but be able to have a 15 to 20% usage rate and, and showcase his passing and showcase his his scoring ability inside the arc. I think that's, that's a really uh, good sign for him and... It's definitely yeah. He's definitely one of the one of the guys I think benefits from being a, a top ten selection rather than being thrust into a bit of limelight rather than than some of the guys who are high usage, low efficiency guards. Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally agree. And I even you know I I really like him kind of going in like that four five six range to like At, Chicago Atlanta, or Atlanta or the Atlanta. one. Yeah, Atlanta are the one for me where I, I don't yeah. see him falling past Atlanta. I mean, I know that teams obviously value shooting a ton these days, but it just seems like if you know, if the scouts are seeing the same thing that we're seeing and that a lot of other, you know, draft Twitter and, and draft podcast kind of guys are seeing, it seems hard for for them not to take him at six and just stick him on the wing. He's immediately their best defender. Um him and Hunter could be a really good uh wing pairing. I'm not I'm not enamored with Hunter, but I think he's still a pretty good defender and um yeah, those two kind of covering for Trey's mistakes. Uh, right. And or, or if they play, you know, 
Okoro, Hunter, and Reddish all at the same yeah. time put Okoro at the four. I mean, that, that's three excellent wing defenders, or at least, you know, three young guys who have great defensive upside. Yeah. So, and it, it could be really fun. And just like their spacing, I think gives him a lot more room to kind of cut and move off ball. Um, and then, you know, kind of even act as that secondary or tertiary playmaker, uh, you know, and while Trey's spotting up 40 feet from the rim. Yeah, and I think the same thing applies for Minnesota. Like, if Minnesota Absolutely. were to move down and take a core, I don't think, I, mean, I think it would be a pretty big stretch to imagine them taking him at one, but if they were to, to strike a deal where they where they move down a couple of spots in the lottery, uh, him, he, he'd still get enough time with the ball in his hands, I think, even with, with, D'Angelo Russell and potentially Malik Beasley and obviously Carl Anthony Towns, but um, I still think he did a chance to create in the role that kind of Jared Culver got last season, where they still yeah. gave him his reps, and then he could definitely he would he would be the best perimeter perimeter defender as well, and, and he'd form a really good pairing with um with Josh Okogie when they were out on the floor together and cover a lot of mistakes. You're able to hide D'Angelo Russell on on bigger you know on players who aren't gonna handle the ball as much like they did at the end of last season and, and stick a Cody or a Coro on, on the ball handler or the secondary ball handler. That just, that seems like a match made in heaven for me, especially now that they've got more shooting, you know, with, with Beasley, Towns and Russell. Yeah, they, they've got absolutely. enough shooting to cover a Coro's deficiencies. Right. And the fact that Cat can, you know, you, you can take him out to 30, 40 feet on, on offense that opens up the lane for, Okoro to cut off of the Russell Towns pick and roll or their pick and pop. Um, I, I think that they would have awesome spacing for him. And even though he can't really shoot, I don't think that would really clog anything up. And it he'd almost act more in that kind of dunker spot role while Cat is expanding out more towards the perimeter to you know where he's super comfortable and really deadly. Yeah, and I think he's got that mindset Okoro where. Not that he, not that he's not. I don't think he is overly confident in his shot, but he does shoot when he's open. But he knows that he right. knows that he's not a spot up guy, so he's he's constantly diving to the rim from the slots. Uh, like you said, in a five out system, even with, with Towns just handling the ball at the top of the key, uh, he's the kind of guy who really seems like he'd suit well. Just someone who can just uh, burst to the ring at any time off the ball. Catch, you know, one dribble up against the big guy, finish with both hands, gets, gets to the foul line a lot. I know he doesn't, I think he only shoots around 67% from memory from the, from the line. So that's obviously not a great shooting indicator either, but he just, he's just a good player. I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, like good players yeah. are just handy to have and they, and they don't often, uh, really flop in the league that they more often than not end up Figuring out some of their weaknesses and, and become really good players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so number two, I, I won't spend too too much time on this. Well, well, number it's my number one guy. I'm guessing it's your <laughs> number two guy. I won't spend too much time on it because I think I've spent like six hours total talking talking <laughs> about Devin Vassell on this podcast. I figured the rest of the podcast was just <laughs> yeah. me talking about. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I'm interested to see see your thoughts on him. But obviously, Vassell's my favorite player in the draft, and that doesn't mean. I'd take him at number one because I think at, at number one you have to swing for a home run. Like you have to take a Lamelo Ball or, or an Anthony Edwards or, in your case, a Denny of a Denny of Dia, um, and really go for a guy who can who can become a star. And I don't think Vassell will ever become like a first or second option kind of player. But right. in terms of small forwards, for me, 
he just edges out Okoro just because he has that that shooting touch. I think Okoro is a better player in the rim and a better slasher. But I think you mm-hmm. can probably... I think the reason why I'm higher on Vassal than Okoro and on Vassal than many other people is because I think I believe in, in that that pull-up game that he has in the mid-range, the one or two dribble pull-ups. I think he'll eventually... You know, he needs to work on his ball handling a little bit, but I can, can picture him being a you know a secondary or, or tertiary. He can roll creator where he can come off and, and hit a pull-up jumper, get to the ring a little bit, um, and then obviously good three-point shooter, over 40% both years at, at Florida State. Um, great team defender. Not not as good on the ball as Okoro, and probably probably not quite as good overall as Okoro, just because Okoro excels both on and off the ball, but off the ball, he's just a monster. He's so long. He's, his instincts are so crisp. The rotations mm-hmm. he makes, you know, from from two, three passes away, uh, are genuinely elite for the college level. And, and I believe that they can be elite at the next level. And, and he's just—I think I'm a sucker for for team defense and a guy who can really reinforce a defensive shell almost on his own just by by making the right reads consistently. And, and by helping his teammates out before they need help, if that makes sense. He's there before before a problem arises to, to squash a problem and set his team out on the other end. And then he also just makes a lot of plays, you know, like gets a lot of steals, gets a lot of blocks. Um, obviously, they're pretty superficial defensive stats, but they really they really just mix in well with the stuff that he does that, that doesn't show up on the box score. <sighs> Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with, you know, almost all of that. Um, I, Vassell was my second small forward. Um, I have him at eight overall. Um, and, you know, I've, I've interchanged Okoro and Vassell, you know, about a dozen times over the past couple of months and had, you know, each one as high as three or four. Um, but, you know, currently right now I have him at eight overall. Um, I remember when we were talking about point guards with Tyrese Halbert and how we kind of had that, same confidence in him where he can be, you know, where he can kind of control that entire weak side defense on his own. Yeah. Um, I see Vassell as like the wing version of that. Yeah. And just, I mean, he, he, his length is incredible and his instincts and rotations and timing with all of his weak side stuff is extremely impressive. Um, and he's just, he's so smart. His defensive IQ is through the roof. Um, and he's just great at, you know, jumping passing lanes or making that rotation where, you know, he sees the cutter almost before the ball, ball handlers finds him. Um, it, it, it's all just really impressive. And I do think his um, on-ball defense is worse than Okoro yeah, just because sure. his foot his foot speed's a lot slower. Yeah, and those long, um, those and long lanky legs kind of get crossed over yeah. a little bit when he's trying to slide his feet. Right, and Okoro's just like that freak athlete, and he's you know in a full squat the entire time. Um, and Vassell can get beaten off the dribble a li- little bit, but not to a point where it's like, oh, this is a problem. Yeah. Um, and his length when he does get beat, he usually makes up for it. Um, in that aspect, and his shooting, I I absolutely love his shooting. Um, I mean, great release point really smooth, consistent jumper. And he's in the 87th percentile when shooting off the catch this season. Um, the only thing where I differ from you on is his shooting off the dribble. Um, yeah. I, I mean, he, he's very good at it. He's very accurate. But 
from what I've seen with him is that he just, he struggled to really create any space. And if he's struggling to create space against, you know, college defenders and college athletes, I worry what's going to happen when he's going up against those NBA wings and, you know, Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or, you know, Matisse Thibel or even Isaac Okoro. Um, so I just wonder how expansive his kind of scoring repertoire will be if he's really unable to create shots off the dribble because I mean, his his jumper off the dribble kind of reminds me a lot of Jared Culver in his last year at Texas Tech <laughs> where that'll, that'll, fill, that'll with, fill the podcast listeners with, with confidence <laughs> right and, and just as a disclaimer Vassell is a much better shooter but they both kind of reminded me of they're great at getting to that spot but they rarely, you know, have that that step back in the mid range that actually creates space. They don't have that move where that off balances their defender to give them that, you know, extra couple inches of space. I mean, they both just made a lot of really heavily contested jumpers. Yeah. Um, you know, that that obviously hasn't translated well for Culver, and he has a myriad of other issues with his shooting form that Vassell does not have. Um, but that's just my only like real hesitation with his shooting is if he's at the NBA level, if he's really going to be able to get those shots off and cr- really create that space for himself in that mid range. Yeah. I, I think that's completely uh, understandable uh, as a, as a worry because he definitely isn't a, a huge space creator or, or a shot creator. I think what I kind of lean towards is uh, compared to Tolva and compared to other guys who kind of, don't create as much off the dribble for themselves is the high release point. It's it's yeah. that he doesn't the amount of space he needs to create compared to other guys is so much less just because he can still get that shot off at, at six foot seven. The shot's probably you know leaving his body at just like you know six foot seven, six foot eight. It's right around his head, and and that kind of gives him enough uh, margin of error, I guess, or a bit more margin of error than than some other guys to try and. To, to be able to get it off. Uh, it's still, I think it still is a worry. And I think, like I said, that's why I think I'm probably higher on him than some other guys. I have him at, uh, four on my board. He, he kind of jumps between four and five and six with, with, uh, Kongru and Okoro. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think I believe that he will be able to hit that jumper, <clears throat> especially, um, if he, I think the, what what gets me high on him is that I think he'll eventually be able to handle the ball a little bit better and come off pick and roll. And if he can get the defender just on his hip, on okay. his hip, then that high release point kind of becomes a really big strength. Almost, I mean, I don't think he'll ever be this kind of player, but almost in the same kind of fashion as Chris Middleton, how he can, yeah, I was just about to say that yeah, how he can kind of come off pick and roll. He's not a very good ball handler, like, but he can come off the pick and roll, get the defender on his hip. And then rise up, and he has that such a high release point that, that he kind of doesn't. It kind of doesn't matter anymore where the defender is, as long as they're not right in his grill, then he can get it off. And I think he has the accuracy to kind of become decent in, in that range. I don't think he'll ever be great, but enough to kind of be like a, a fifteen point per game scorer, along with his his awesome team defense. Yeah, yeah, that that Middleton comp is the, the one that, that I've. You know, all season I keep going back to, and I feel like their games are just super similar. That high release point, great length, just kind of methodical and getting to their spot. Um, I, I 
Mid- Middleton has a really well developed kind of post game, yeah. um, and that just that that awkwardness, and maybe that's not the right word, but just like that knack for kind of getting guys just slightly on their heels enough where they can't really contest in that mid range, um, and you know all of that comes with maturity yeah. and stuff and and reps and coaching, which so I knew if Vassell can get to that point, that that'd be awesome because I feel like they have similar athleticism or at least you know kind of foot speed ball handling traits where it's not elite it's not flashy it's not explosive but it's enough yeah and i think the one thing with the cell is obviously um he's not the kind of guy who you consider a playmaker and i don't think he ever will be you know a playmaker but he's a very low turnover guy i mean he just doesn't take risks he doesn't hold the ball longer than he needs to. I think, you know, if he, if he can't see an opening for himself, he's happy to get it out and get it to someone who has more of an advantage. And then, um, yeah, it's just, he's just a, a really safe player, I think, which is, again, along the same lines as Middleton. I mean, Middleton's obviously, he's very high-end hog, but um, it's the, yeah, it's that kind of player where you, you never see them do too much. They, they know their limits and... When they can score, they'll try and score, and when they have to just keep the ball popping around the perimeter, then they will. Yeah, absolutely, and then and that that whole not making mistakes, you know, that's both both sides of the ball. Yeah, he's he's just a really smart player, um, you know, and, and I think that safe label is really accurate, and you know, a lot of people kind of will kind of view that as like a slight, but I I don't, and I think it's just he's gonna be a very good role player and you know in this draft and he out of the guys in the top 10 you know he may have the highest floor out of you know any of these guys where i i just see him having a 10 to 15 year career where he's a high-end starter for all those yeah it's it's hard to really pick an area that's gonna cause him to become a bust you know and yeah and like like you said, some people will think playing it safe is a slide against him, but the, the, he's just a perfect like NBA player for for how the NBA is played right now. I mean, you see, like like we said before with the Coro, like he he'll slot into any system, and he, he shouldn't have a problem. You know, he shoots threes and he plays defense at, at a baseline, and then maybe you get a little bit more from him in, in the in the pick and roll or in the pull up shooting, like we said before, but. At, at his worst, he's going to be, you know, a 35 to 38% shooter who does a ton as a team defender and, you know, really helps your defensive shell stay solid. So uh, I just think anyone that drafts him will get a player that they can pl- plug in and play pretty much right away. And then and then hopefully he has the potential to come a, become a little bit more than just a 3 and D guy. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, so we're going to the... Going to your third guy, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have the same, although I was pretty sure we had the same before. So who's, who's your third guy? All right, I, I have Aaron Nesmith yeah. um, as my third. I, I have him 11 overall. Um, and so we only saw, you know, a handful of games. His season was cut short. Um, but he's – and I feel like a lot of the guys before him are guys – and at least on my board are guys who do a lot of things really well, but maybe not one thing, you know, at an elite level. You know, there are exceptions in there. But 
Nesmith, in my mind, is the absolute best shooter in this class. Um, this dude is ridiculous in the this season, and you know it was cut a little short, but I he shot fifty two percent from three on over eight attempts a game, which is absurd. Um, his his overall scoring, he was in the 90, 99th percentile, ninety fifth percentile in spot up, ninety seventh running off screens, ninetieth in transition, ninety sixth with handoffs, ninety seventh in isolation, ninety uh, ninth on all jump shots, the hundredth percentile when shooting off the catch. I it just I, I he is the best shooter in this class, and when you kind of get to that late lottery, if you can find a guy who's absolutely elite at one thing um you know i i think it's hard to pass up that up on that i mean he just he does a great job of running off the office screens um and he can shoot off the dribble he can kind of create his own space um especially if you know after he runs off those screens takes a couple dribbles jabs up gets the guy off balance and just creates you know an extra foot of space for himself and he's another one of these lanky guys who has that high release point that's really difficult to contest. Um, other than that, unfortunately, there isn't a ton to love. I mean, he's pretty scoring focused, so he's not going to do any playmaking. Um, his defensive consistency, I didn't love, but I kind of thought Vanderbilt did some funky things on defense where they tried to funnel guys into traps and yeah. stuff that's not really going to carry over to the NBA. Um, and, you know, we, we did see some flashes of some really good transition defense and weak side uh, help with where he can just kind of use his length. So, and he's not, he's nowhere near the type of defender that a Coro or Vassell is, and he's never going to make that type of impact. But I do see a world where he's, you know, at least a competent defender that, you know, isn't going to be targeted or isn't going to kill a team. Um, so, yeah, I'm just his flamethrower shooting i just i love it's a ton of fun to watch and i I would be hard-pressed to kind of pass it up in that late lottery mid first round range yeah overall i'm a little lower on him but i think i completely agree with what you said so i think it's just a matter of i guess how much stock you put into the the defense or the just i guess uh periphery skills that that he doesn't really possess at the moment because Right. I, I have him around, I think, between like 14 and 17. I mean, my board kind of moves every time I watch someone, you know, and yeah. like it's, it's a revolving door at the moment. But yeah, I have him in that late lottery, you know, just outside the lottery range. And that's because I, I don't think he'll ever be a good defender. I mean, like you said, I'm not going to rule out him becoming like a mediocre defender, someone who, who you can put on the floor and not have to completely worry about tanking your team defense. But. I think he'll be pretty bad to begin with until he kind of learns the ropes. But yeah. but he is six foot six, six foot seven. I think he has a six foot ten wingspan. So the the tools are there, and uh, he did have the stress fracture. I know um, our friend Dane Moore. He had this. He always talks about maybe the stress fracture was was bothering him a little bit, you know, because he was a little bit better in his freshman mm-hmm. season than he was this season defensively. But um, that's probably with the increased role as well. You know, he was probably just a bit more tired. I think. But there's no denying, like you said, like there's not a lot of guys. There's probably no one, you know, in that in that lottery late lottery range that has one skill that's better than Neesmith shooting. Maybe Lamelo Ball's right. passing, but um, 
he's yeah, he's a flamethrower. He he comes off. He's so good coming off screens. He he never stops moving or and and hunting for a shot, and and that's the marker of a really good shooter. I think he he just goes up so quick when he gets the ball. He doesn't care if a hands in his face. I mean, well, you know, if you haven't seen him, you, you can picture him just. You can picture him when you picture a guy like Ty Thompson or, or Duncan Robinson. Not that he's yeah. gonna for sure be that kind of player, but that's the kind of shooter he is. Where he just you just feel like every shot he puts up is going in, and so does he, obviously. And yeah. he just, um, yeah, he, he the way he works around the perimeter, you know, moving from corner to corner to get a jumper, coming off a screen, uh, you know, pin down in, in the slot. Uh, he, yeah, he's just a really fun shooter. I, I mean, there's he's a kind of easy player to analyze because I don't know what else he does very well, but he shoots the hell out of it, and, and that's important. Yeah, and then that that and Vanderbilt's entire offense was essentially, hey, let's get him yeah, the best yeah. shot we can here. So I, I, from what he showed at Vanderbilt, he's not going to play make. He's not going to set guys up, even in that secondary or tertiary role. That's just not going to be part of his game. Um, you know, maybe at the next level we see you know stuff kind of in a similar to Duncan Robinson role where you know he's running off those screens, but then you know once he gets the ball, if you know. He has that ability to, you know, drop that pocket pass or, you know, slip, slip into the rolling big man, you know, out of his jump shot. Just kind of small stuff like that. Maybe he can develop that. Um, but yeah, and he's at Vanderbilt. He, he was clearly told shoot and shoot off and, and he did at a very high level. And that might, that might make it almost more, or probably does make it more impressive how well he shot it. Like, I think some, some natural regression. Was obviously coming with the percentages. Yes. He wasn't going to yeah. shoot, hit over half his threes every game, and yeah. and they hadn't really versed anyone of note. But like the defense knew what was going on in Vanderbilt's offense, and that was that Neesmith's going to hunt around the perimeter and shoot threes, mm-hmm. and they still couldn't stop it, which is a, a credit to him because even with you know uh, teams that aren't you know high major or mid major teams, that, that doesn't really matter when you've got five guys who know exactly what you want to do and uh, are keen right. to stop it. It's still um, yeah. it's still very hard to hit 52% of your threes. Yeah, re- re- regardless of sample size, um, it, it's very impressive. Yeah, so um, so who's your fourth guy? This is where I think it drops off a little bit. I mean, those three guys are pretty much locks to go in the top 20. Um, Neesmith... You know, you could make it a, uh, a case that all those guys are almost locked to go in the lottery. But um, after that, it, it kind of got a little bit tough to choose guys after you ruled out the Bays uh, and and uh, FDA as well. Yeah, so and th- this is a real big drop-off for me because I mean, we, we talked before this and, you know, we ruled out FDA, we ruled out Sadiq Bay, Patrick Williams, Precious, yeah. uh, you know, all those good Paul Reed, you know, all those guys we'll talk about you know, next time. Um, so my fourth guy is Jaden McDaniels. Um, I have him at 29 overall. Um, he was one of the more frustrating prospects this season on, you know, maybe the most frustrating college team with Washington because they had a ton of talent and they were just one of these examples of a coach who had a system and was trying to, forces players into it instead of adapting to them and what they do well because they their their coach comes from the Syracuse system so they're 
dead set on playing that two three zone, which they were absolutely atrocious at. Um, and Jaden McDaniels looked completely lost in it. So you know, it's it's tough to kind of judge his what type of defensive impact he'll make. Um, because I, there there are plenty of times where and he has incredible length. His arms just go on forever, and there are times where he would make perfect, you know, weak side rotations or contest jumpers on the perimeter and really disrupt things. Um, so, you know, maybe, you know, when, once he's kind of moving off, we're moving with guys on the perimeter and locking in with guys that's a little more prevalent in his game at the next level. Um, or, you know, his, and he just completely looked lost in that zone. So maybe his defensive awareness is really crap and we know he's going to lose guys running off his screens <laughs> so i i think full-time zones should be banned in college i hate them yeah. and all the coaches who play them are cowards <laughs> um but i know offensively and he's got a he's got a sweet jumper i know they're one of these guys with great length high release point almost impossible to contest um you know he, he can get to the rim he can spot up he can score off the dribble um, and unfortunately, you know, he's kind of, he kind of gets blinders on when he's looking for his own bucket, um, a, a little bit of playmaking in transition, but in the half court offense, if he's not getting his shot, he's kind of not doing a whole lot. Um, you know, I, he kind of reminds me of like a poor man's Michael Porter in that sense, uh, where, you know, when, when he shoots, I kind of always expect it to go in and he's really difficult to contest, but you know, if he's got the ball, he's probably shooting it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with the the frustrating aspect. I mean, like if you haven't watched McDaniel's, he's six foot ten as a small forward. Uh, his wingspan is listed at seven foot. It feels bigger than that, especially since he's six foot ten. He kind of is just like this big bundle of of arms and legs, um, which and ridiculously fluid for a guy that size, like. You know, when he, when he was in high school, he was, he got like the the Kevin Durant comparison, which every big skinny wing gets. But he is that kind of fluidity from a guy who's who's just massive. And then he like he's with those physical tools, like he can cover. He like like you said, like he missed a lot of rotations, and, and his awareness wasn't very wasn't very good in the zone. But like when when he is locked in, he covers like an immense amount of ground. Um, he can recover from mistakes way better than a lot of players just because if he gets beaten, you know, it's one step and a leap for him to get back and block a shot. Um, and then, like, he, that kind of leads to a bit of room protection as well. But he's just unpolished on that end. And I think that's kind of the buzzword with McDaniels in general is that he's just an unpolished player. I mean... Like you said, 82, uh, 82nd percentile in catch and shoot situations. Really fluid looking jumper for a guy that big, but the, the shot selection is horrible. The one dribble pull ups with a hand in his face are pretty, like, kind of drive me insane, especially just because he, he theoretically should be able to get to the ring a little bit better. I think he can't because his ball handling is just so high and loose and, and out of control. And he's trying to kind of, you know, take guys off the dribble and, so, like lull guys to sleep with, with crossovers, but they're just they don't take him anywhere, and they don't you know create enough space. So he just ends up settling for a contested jumper, and then 
like you said, he gets his blinders on. He throws some wild passes in the half court. <laughs> like he'll try and like whip a skip pass to the corner, and it'll go into like the seventeenth row. Um, he's just honestly, I, he's one. Of, I've said before, like I have a lot of fun watching Jaden McDaniel's games, just because like you never know what's going to happen. Like yeah. he might he might throw a shot off the side of the ring, and then the next play, like sprint down the court and block a shot off the backboard, and then hit a three. You know, and then dunk on someone and and then fall over his own feet and travel like it. It's just it's it's all over the place and it's he's definitely one of the hardest guys to to project for me. I, I'm just not sure like what he does well enough straight away to become an NBA player, but the the tools are clearly there and it doesn't take that much mental gymnastics to kind of envision him becoming good. But ugh, right. I don't know when or where. Is, is the perfect fit for him. Yeah, and I, I know there are some red flags with him with off-court stuff. I don't know exactly what they are, so, you know, I, I can't expand too much on yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard the same thing, um, but never never got, yeah, actual details into it. Right, I, and I, I think one of them is just his kind of general work ethic. Um, and I know there are a lot of people, you know, kind of myself included, that are kind of really concerned that he hasn't really improved his body at all over the last couple of years, um, you know, with, with his, you know, lankiness, I don't expect him to add a ton of muscle, but from the sound of it, he hasn't really gotten any stronger since he was like, even in high school, um, which is, you know, not great. You know, you, you want the guy to have a little bit of muscle so he can at least rebound or, you know, hold his own or, you know, move a guy off a spot or do something. Um, and, just kind of as the season went on, he just looked really unhappy and that he just was going through the motions and, and he would get a bunch of texts. So I'm not sure if that was, you know, situation or he was just unhappy with the coaches or his teammates or, or what, but, you know, maybe he's just one of these guys that doesn't absolutely love basketball. And, you know, we've seen it a bunch with those guys where they just kind of flame out. So I, you know, I'm hoping it's kind of situation based and he just gets a fresh start. Um, but there, there have been those kind of off the court red flags that, that, you know, people smarter and more in touch than me have brought up. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, yeah, the body language definitely concerns me. I mean, when things aren't going his way, he seems to pout a little bit and kind of... Not throwing the towel, but it just seems like he loses that that edge throughout a game if things aren't going his way or if things aren't going the team's way. Like you said, we don't know if that's just situation-based or if that's how he's going to be with every team, but it's it's certainly right. not something that uh, you love to see and something you have to definitely take into account when, com- when comparing him with other guys around that region. I've got him around yeah between the end of the first round and the early second round, I mean... He's just too. He's too physically gifted and enough. A good enough shooter to completely write him off. And, and yeah, like I said before, yeah, it totally doesn't good. take much to imagine him becoming a really good player. Just because, like, 
guys who can who can get out and transition and block shots and shoot threes at his size don't come around every day. But the the poor man, very poor man's Michael Porter Jr. comparison is one that is yeah. one that I like because they kind of just uh, keyed into scoring. When they are scoring, they look amazing, and when they're not, it's kind of like, what's he doing out there? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that that base level of talent for him is absolutely there. And if you know a, a franchise can really lock into it and get him to really commit, I, I think he could absolutely be a steal in the you know late first or second. But I mean, if those red flags or you know teams intel are really negative, um, I personally I wouldn't take him off my board. But it wouldn't surprise me if there are teams out there that just are like just see the work ethic or the body language stuff, and they're just like, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So ho- hopefully it's, you know, not something long-term, but because um, he is really talented, especially when he's, you know, locked in and not taking himself out of the game. Yeah, he, he's a guy who, as much as he frustrates me, and I, I I don't think I'd love watching him play big minutes in Minnesota, he's definitely a guy who I could see uh, getting taken at, at 33 and someone who I think you could stash him in, in Iowa for a year. Mm-hmm. They play the, the exact same system that, that the big team does in Minnesota, which would give him, him good game reps, hopefully, you know, a bit of time, you know, a year to develop his body and to really hit the, hit the weight room hard. Like you said, he doesn't need to put on a, a ton of muscle, just like all of those, those long, wiry kind of guys don't need to do that, but, but just enough where, He's strong in his upper body and, you know, can, can hold his own against the big bodies in the NBA. But, um, right. yeah, he's a guy. Minnesota need talent. Like, they need talent badly. And McDaniels mm-hmm. has so much talent. And if you can unlock it at all, you, you get yourself a good rotation player. And if he reaches his full potential, you know, you might even get yourself a, a second or third option. But I don't see that. I don't right. see that happening. But. He's the kind. Of, right. He's the kind of guy that that Minnesota probably should take a look at at thirty three because, you know, in the second round, if his attitude isn't right in in two years or you know he doesn't develop at all, then you just don't you know pick up his team option and it's really no skin off your back. So it's um yeah yeah I, I think he's a good home run kind of kind of target in the later in the later first round early second round. A- a- absolutely. Um. So. Our fourth guy, I'm pretty sure. Uh, sorry, our fifth guy, I'm pretty sure it will be the same as well. So, uh, Robert Woodard the second, yep. um, so uh, sophomore Mississippi State. He's six foot seven. He's got a seven foot wingspan. He's 235 pounds, and that's that's the first thing that I noticed with him when I when I started yep. watching him a few weeks ago. And then last night I finished the games I had for him. He's he's just a massive human being. Like he's a big yeah. Dude. Like he's built like a brick house and. I'm not enamored with with his with his game, but he's he's definitely someone who I think he's probably a four in the NBA. I mean, I think so. We kind of had to put someone in here because we we're like running running <laughs> out of small forwards. You know, we're just going to make them all power forwards. But um, he just does a little bit of everything. I mean, I really like the way he can work corner to corner offensively. He hits corner threes really well. I mean, he shot forty two percent on. 2.5 threes a game, so so fairly low, low volume, but he's got a nice looking stroke, 69th percentile in catch and shoot. He kind of, you know, he, he works well out of them corners and then, and then he's a really good baseline cutter as well. He he shot 72% on cuts, you know, moving along the baselines or, or out of the dunker spot. You know, a lot of hard back cuts as well. 
really, uh, not super duper athletic, but athletic enough to, to throw it down on guys if he has to and, and really get up and, you know, put it, put back a put back dunk. Like he goes hard on the offensive glass. And then, and then defensively, I think, again, like I don't think he's a lockdown defender, but I think he's a, a really solid, you know, defensive link in the chain. Someone who's, who can definitely, you know, guard threes and fours. Maybe he might struggle with, with quicker threes at the next level, but I just think he's a solid player overall. He's kind of like the anti uh, McDaniel's, where right. he just does a lot of things okay, and that's you know if you get him in the in the early second or in the in the forties, that's that's the kind of guy who you can probably plug into a ten to fifteen minute role in a rotation and be pretty happy with. Yeah, and I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his defensive versatility, and he he can switch on the perimeter. Yeah, he, really, he do does really. He has really good feet and moves laterally yeah. really well. Yeah, and at at that size and strength, you know, I I kind of get some PJ Tucker vibes from yeah. him. Um, and offensively, you know, he he's not going to create his own shot. Um, his shooting was a little inconsistent, but that foundation and you know, I think there was enough there for me. There's enough product positive production that. Or that suggests that he'll be, you know, a, a solid shooter in the NBA. You know, he's not going to be light lighting it up from outside, but he'll he'll be, you know, able to knock down open shots. And I think he was in the seventy seventh percentile on open catch and shoots. So that that's definitely an aspect of his game. But kind of, you know, sneaking in that dunker spot or cutting, um, and being able to kind of attack the rim, I think was where he'll be um, really productive. Um, so I yeah, as far as kind of like those rotation versatile defenders off the bench who can who aren't going to kill you offensively, I, I think he's a really good option in that late first early second round range. I have him thirty three overall, yeah. so I, I like his game. It just kind of does a little bit of everything at a high level and is a, a solid defender. Yeah, the like you said, that he's just kind of the the three and D kind of guy. I think he'll obviously need to up his volume, and I'm sure. Heading into the into the draft and and right now working out for the draft, he'll be shooting a ton of threes just because he'll know that's what his role is kind of pegged in at the next level. But mm-hmm. um, it's the one the the shoot the creating for himself is is the big problem. I think that you, you he doesn't really try to. He's more of just the you know spot up guy. You know, move without the ball on cuts and stuff. And then when he has the ball, he just keeps it moving. He, he might you know run a handoff or. I'll feed, feed it into the post for a bid. The one thing I, I, that kind of annoys me when I'm watching him, whereas it might be uh, system-based at Mississippi State, but he seems to uh, like moving inside the perimeter a, a ton when he doesn't have the ball. I think it's for offensive rebounds. I think they want to get him in there to offensive yeah. rebound because he's a really good rebounder for his size. I think he averages yeah. around seven a game, and he's, he's a massive guy. Like He moves guys off the spot with box outs and stuff really easily. So I'm sure that's why it was. But I think in the NBA, he'll have to stay spaced way more often. And maybe that gets him more threes because it seems, he seems to just, as soon as the ball, you know, as soon as he's kind of on the weak side, he seems to just start floating in towards the rim. And that, that really destroyed their spacing at times. I know they, they had Reggie Perry in there who, who was, who was really fun around the ring. And I think at times, um, would have kind of destroyed Perry's ability to go one on one. Uh, on the block just because he'd, he'd bring his men in there to try and get a rebound for the eventual shot and, and then Perry would have to end up working for a crowd of guys. But that's very fixable and, and yeah, probably more system-based, but it's something I noticed uh, every time I watched him. 
Yeah, yeah, and he he was always looking to you know for that offensive rebound, and he had almost two and a half a game. Yeah, and he's a really um, good rebounder, and, and that that's probably yeah. why he'll end up at being a four at the next level, just because he can get in and and be really tough on the boards while still giving you a, a wing type defender and shooter. Yeah, absolutely, and he, he just kind of gives you that versatility. And I mean, once I think once he gets in the NBA system, if his coaches are like just get the hell back on defense. Like, what are you doing? Stop yeah. this. I, I, th- I think that'll Which know, I'm sure just they be will. A, a habit that he'll, yeah. Because almost no one offenses, uh, you know, goes for offensive rebounds anymore. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I kind of think that's, you know, an awkward habit that he'll be able to work out of um, pretty quickly. But that at really creating anything with the ball in his hands, I don't see him evolving past. Um, he just kind of looks awkward and, uncomfortable doing anything with the ball besides shooting or dunking. Yeah, and I think that's fine. I think, yeah, uh, uh, you know, in the second round, you, you'll just take you'll take a guy who can do a couple of things well and, and stay on the court at, on, in a team that shoots threes and defends, which is every team. So I think I think it'll right. be a fine pick. Uh, I w- again, I wouldn't mind if Minnesota took him. I think he's a lower upside play, which maybe makes me lean towards McDaniels just over him, even though yeah, uh, would have makes me feel safer to be on a good team, but uh, I, I think you're more likely to pick up a wooded, you know, a dime a dozen around the league. Yeah. But then, Definitely. but then again, you know, you can draft him and have him on a on a one million, like one to two million deal, or, or I'm not 100 percent sure if that's correct, but like whatever a second round rookie scale deal is, um, yeah, you'd be pretty happy with that because he he'd be in Minnesota's rotation straight away. I think, especially if. You know, yeah, they move a Culver or someone to to make some space, but he's probably in that Jake Lehman type, you know, of player. I think. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, so who's your sleeper? Uh, I haven't. I, I know who it is, but I haven't got to your sleeper. He's on my list of guys I want to watch, which is good because I like to hear about guys from you that that I don't have any opinions on. So, so who's your, like? Tell us about your sleeper. Okay, so I apologize that I'm probably going to butcher his last name, um, <laughs> but it's Paul Iboa, Iboa, um, E-B-O-U-A, for those wanting to Google him or YouTube him. Um, small forward out of Cameroon. Um, very, very raw. I have him at 53 overall, so late second, um, you know, probably high probability that he doesn't even get drafted. But I love his work rate, his athleticism, his rebounding, his defense. You know, it's just he plays at a very high level all the time. And I just have a massive soft spot for those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like if you're out there working your ass off, guy, coaches are going to be more willing to, you know, put you in for at least a couple minutes or keep you on the roster than the uber-talented guy that doesn't do anything. Um, so... He's very raw, but yeah, um, you know, just just that that work rate, I absolutely love. He's he's a high level rebounder, um, d- does a lot of kind of grab and go in transition offense. Uh, great athlete, great length, um, and just that that switchability on defense that, that that I really like, and I think is extremely valuable. Um, at you know, for really every team, uh, negatives kind of a little awkward with the ball in his hands in the half court, um, kind of not, not a very good playmaker and his shooting mechanics definitely need some work. So 
you know, I, I, he's not going to be Pascal Siakam, but I kind of get those similar vibes where, you know, he's got that incredible length, good rebounder, good defender from the, you know, base level. And he's got a great work ethic. So I, he's not going to be Pascal Siakam. He's not going to be an all-star. He's not going to be, you know, any of that. I, I'd be shocked if he is, but that work ethic, um, that ability to improve that desire to improve and just that base level of work rate, defense, athleticism, and rebounding. Um, I, I would be more than happy to take it to, to take a late second round flyer on him. Yeah, I, I I have a soft spot for guys like that as well, and I think it's it's easy to bet on guys who have shown the the willingness to work and and to get better. And it's I think it's even easier to to bet on those guys when they're when they're international players, just because you can keep them where they are right now, stash them in, an, in another country, let them develop for another one or two years, especially if you're picking them, you know, in the 50s or in, in the late second round. If they'd never come over, that's that's not a big problem. So, but if you can stash them for two years, you know, and then bring them over when they're a bit more developed as like a, you know, 21, 22, 23-year-old, um, that, that's how you see guys like Pascal Siakam, you know, got international guys who, who kind of, Come out of nowhere. That's because they've been drafted a few years ago, and and you know even like here, Manu Bielitsa from Minnesota, who's now you know earned himself a good paycheck more than once in the NBA, and still remains a really good player. That kind of draft and stash player, I have a soft spot for, and I, and I think that it's easy to to uh, I guess take a, take a guy like that, and then and then not have to worry about bringing him over straight away, and just I guess hoping he gets good or hoping he. He becomes an NBA level player one day, and you already have his rights. Yeah, and I mean, his game kind of reminds me a lot of um, like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson, yeah, um, as well. And you know, he's a dreadful shooter, but we keep seeing him make rosters because he is a good defender. Yeah. Um, you know, he he can do stuff. He's gonna work when he's on the floor. So, you know, just kind of that mold of guy is where I kind of see Ibo at. You know, kind of right now, and you know, hey, who knows if he does develop a shot? Awesome, but it's not something you really need to bet on, or like, or have it be one of those things where if he doesn't develop it, it's you know a deal breaker for him. Yeah. So um, we'll jump straight into my sleeper. Um, mine's Elijah Hughes, twenty-two-year-old uh, senior from Syracuse. I'm really high on Hughes. Obviously, I think he's still a second-round prospect, but I think. Only just, I, I could even see him sliding into the late first round. I think he'll be drafted way lower than he deserves to be in my mind. Um, he's just a, he's a really fun scorer, shooter off the dribble or, or as a standstill shooter. I mean, he shot 42% from the field, 34% on seven threes a game. So not great efficiency, but he was a go-to guy and, and kind of, you know, late shot clock creator for Syracuse. Really their, their number one option. Um, just so the defenses, like we said before, were always keyed on, in on him kind of the same way as Neesmith. Um, but his shot form and his footwork, he has deep range. Uh, and then he isn't just a pure scorer or shooter. He, he averaged 3.4 assists per game, kind of consistently exhibited really great reads in the pick and roll and in transition. He, he loves a flashy pass as well. Um, he only ranked in the 21st percentile as a pick and roll scorer. He has some questionable decision making you know, in terms of pick and roll scoring and he's just pretty bad getting to the rim. I think he's around uh, 53% from the rim. 
which is which is pretty bad. And then he he's kind of doesn't use his le- doesn't use his left hand. He can't fight through contact. They're they're all real concerns with him. But I just think he's a again. It's hard to to pinpoint his defensive you know talent because he's in that Syracuse system with the two three zone. Um, but I expected him. I expect him to be you know a mediocre defender. He's got really good like length. He's got six foot nine, six foot ten wingspan. Depending on where you look, he's two hundred fifteen pounds. You know six six size. So he he's got good he's got NBA size, and then I think he can just score the ball uh, and. Sometimes you know that that's enough. If he can be a kind of microwave guy off the bench, who can who can add a little bit of facilitating to to I guess give him an extra dimension to his game that's not just pure scoring. Then then I think he can be a guy who can definitely make a roster and play good minutes. Yeah, so I'm, I feel like we have a, a similar situation here with your sleeper where I had a Grant Riller because I've seen some guys saying Elijah Hughes should be, you know, mid-first round. Yeah, yeah, so, I've kind of seen up and down. Yeah, I've seen people have him in, like, the 20s, and then I've seen other people have him in, like, the 50s, and it's kind of like, if he's in the 50s for me, you're getting an absolute steal. But you probably, yeah, so you're I, probably I'm, overpicking him. I'm one of those people. You're probably overrating him if he's, he's taking him in the, you know, 15 to 20 range. Yeah, so I I currently have him at forty six overall. Yeah. Um, I I've struggled to get on board. I know a lot of people love him. I I just have struggled to really get there yet. Um, and you know, it, it I'll admit, you know, maybe a lot of it is because of just that Syracuse label, and I I hate <laughs> scouting guys from Syracuse because that. So nonsense that they keep doing, uh, but I mean, he he did he was a solid defender um, before at East Carolina, so I think he'll be at least a competent defender. Um, and I I he's a great athlete, so he he showed off some awesome you know weak side shot blocking and stuff like yeah, that. Uh, um, I think strangely uh, it might be like I guess it's hard to tell in the two three zone, but the thing he probably exhibited the most. Defensively, is his ability to block shots, which is strange for a guy who's a, a two or a three. But he, he's a really good shot blocker right. and, and really good shot blocker on the perimeter as well on jump shooters, which yeah. is a, a strange kind of talent to have. But yeah, I, I don't think he's a great defender, but he that definitely stands out defensively. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it is that he, from what I've seen, he just he gambles a lot yeah. and just doesn't really have like that defensive discipline on you know the, on those tight closeouts or really moving his feet. Um, instead of crossing them and just kind of staying low. So I need just, you know, stuff that you can tighten up, stuff that's coachable, stuff that's, you know, not a glaring red flag or anything. Um, I I still don't trust his jumper, even though I know some numbers are there. I mean, overall on jump shots, he only shot 33%. Um, I know a lot of that was, you know, Syracuse late in the shot clock. They just throw it to him and be like, hey, do something with two seconds left. So I I know that kind of slows it down a bit, but I, I, I like him. I think I like him as a second round pick. Um, I just, I struggle to really get on board as some people have with him. Cause I just don't see the upside of him being like a legit starter. Um, and you know, if I'm taking guys in the first round, I kind of expect them to at least develop into a starter or have that potential to do so. And I don't ever see him really, doing that um i, I kind of just see his 
his ceiling as you know that that seventh eighth guy in the rotation, which which is valuable. Um, but you know, I I want to spend a second round pick on those guys. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I think the the reason I like him probably tends to be because I think he'll be a second round pick. I mean, if if he was a surefire, yeah, that's right. If he was a surefire first round pick, I'd probably be a bit lower on him. But I think if you can get him, like I'd take him from Minnesota at thirty three. I think maybe he doesn't fit. Sure. He doesn't fit with this roster that well, just because they do have a kind of lot of like backup wings and and not really one that kind of stands out as a, as a true starter. But um, mm-hmm. apart from probably Beasley, but I just think for for some team who needs a bit of scoring punch off the bench. I think he's going to be one of them guys, like he was at Syracuse, who never really stands out as like a great three-point shooter or a great shot maker, but still just gets buckets. If, if that makes sense, like someone whose efficiency's a little bit low, like that be- that bench kind of microwave, you know, gunner type who just might shoot low forties from the field and, and kind of you know mid to low thirties from from the three-point range, but still gets you. 12 points a night and can can pass the ball a little bit. I think the passing is probably where maybe we differ or maybe where I, I feel myself a little bit higher on him is that I think he can really make really nice reads and he, he, sh- he showed that at Syracuse a little bit. So I think he, if, if he progress, keeps progressing as a passer, then then maybe he yeah he has two dimensions to his game where he can, he can get you 12, 10, 12 points and, and give you, you know, three, four assists off the bench. That's a, a, a guy who you'd be pretty happy with spending the second round pick on eventually. Yeah, yeah, no, and if, if he can reach that production, that that'd be huge, especially if he falls to the second. Um, I, I just, you know, I again, it, may, it might just be that Syracuse label on his chest. And <laughs> I just, I struggle to get behind him. Yeah, um, and that's the great right, thing about right. the draft is, you know, sometimes right. you just don't see it with someone, and someone else does, and, and that's completely fair. And you know, it's, it's, yeah, and I'm more than happy to be wrong on on guys that I'm down on. And, yeah, you know, for sure. So if if he ends up being, you know, five years from now we're doing a, a redraft, and he's like, oh god, Elijah Hughes is a stud. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, so how um. So, what were your overall your overall ranks? Run through them again. The one to six. Yeah. So I had Okoro, Vassell, Nesmith, McDaniel's, Woodard, um, and then you know, and then on my overall board, I had Hughes and then Ebola. Yeah. So I've got uh, the same swap around: uh, Vassell and Okoro and the Nesmith. Um, I think I'm leaning towards McDaniels over Woodard just because he's more of an upside mm-hmm. play. So I'd go, I'll go yep. McDaniels, then Woodard, uh, Hughes, and then Aboa. So um, who would you – how would you rank him in terms of, of the Timberwolves drafting them? Well, I guess not not um, drafting, but more just how they would fit on the Timberwolves regardless of, of yeah, draft position. Yeah, just general fit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have Vassell is the best, then Okoro, then Nesmith, then Woodard, then Hughes, then McDaniels, then Ebola. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so you definitely lower on McDaniel's as a fit for Minnesota. I think so, just because I think Woodard is more of a guaranteed contributor yeah. earlier on. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be a, against that McDaniel's pick at thirty three. In fact, you know that might make a lot of sense. But if they're just stashing him, like in Iowa, I I could see him, you know, getting frustrated with that situation and just kind of flaming out into nothing pretty quickly. Um, 
but you know, and we, we, like we talked about that, that base level of talent's really impressive with him. So, you know, if, if he takes out like a chip on his shoulder and, you know, really turns into something, um, you know, then I think that's a great fit. Um, it's just more so I kind of expect that baseline production for Woodard to be a little more immediate or a little more, um, you know, kind of guaranteed yeah. than with McDaniels, who is more of, in my mind, kind of a, a lot of, or like a lottery ticket. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there I guess there's always two ways you can look at it, especially with a bad team like Minnesota, is that you either, like you obviously need more talent, but like you can't, you also can't afford to be, you know, hitting foul balls all the time. Like at some, right. at some stage you need to just hit like a double instead of a home run. And I, I don't even watch baseball, so I don't know if that analogy works. But, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? And Woodard is a double in that analogy. He's a guy who probably just ends up being pretty pretty okay, and whereas yeah. McDaniels might end up being really bad. So I'll go with, yeah, Vassal, Okoro, Neesmith, um, Woodard, McDaniels, Hughes, and Aboa. So I'll, I'll, put, I'll put McDaniels up above Hughes just because I'm not sure... I'm not sure how how much Minnesota really need like a backup two or three who can score a little who can score a little bit and not really defend that well. Like, I mean, you, you probably you probably yeah, event, you sure. probably eventually get that from Culver. I mean, I'm not I haven't given up on I, I, I certainly hope. Yeah, so. I haven't given up on Culver at all. So I don't think he'll ever be really good, but I think he'll probably be better than Hughes next year and, and in the in the yeah. years onwards, and he can play the two and the three as well. So. Yeah, that that's that's my list. That's the the show, I guess. Um, we'll be back to do power forwards. Power forwards are going to be fun. We might even have to do we might even have to do like six or seven because we've like put so many guys in that in that bucket now. Um, God, that one's going to be. And fun. I know you're going to speak on Denny of Dia for at least twenty five minutes. So like that might have to be like a two oh, that okay. might have to be like a two part episode on on just <laughs> Dia. Um, but yeah, thanks again, man. As always, it's um. Oh, my pleasure. Really good time. And yeah, we'll get back into it maybe in, in one or two weeks and do power forwards. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks again, man. Everyone else, like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. And um, I'll see you guys next week.